Hi, and welcome to another great message from Noosa Church. We pray that you're impacted and inspired by this teaching. For more information and service times, check out our website at noosa.church. Enjoy. This morning, though, I'd love for us to take a moment and consider the Tower of Babel before we get into our text. So I want to read from you, to you from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 8. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Verse 4, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have all one language And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Wow. I want to suggest to you this morning that Babel... The Tower of Babel or Babel, it's a clear picture of how God looks at mankind fulfilling its own vision. And you know, when you look at the Tower of Babel, you see unity, you see that everything that they put their hand to, they succeeded in, it actually sounds like a, a great thing. And even God, I think, acknowledged that, 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 it, you know, that they were showing the uh, the greatness of of creation the downside of it is who they were making a name for they were making a name for themselves instead of living to the glory of god you see humanity is looking for unity we see it everywhere don't we and it's admirable in in and from some perspectives but uh, the problem that we have is that it's limited in its vision we are limited in our vision because as, as humans, we cannot see beyond ourselves. We see it around the world today. There's, there's a vision for tolerance, yet in our efforts to have tolerance, we are intolerant. Let me just say this. Unity outside of God creates an illusion of success. There is a form of godliness, yet it has no power. Now, unity of the Spirit, on the other hand, through the bond of peace, it's discovered when we stop making a name for ourselves and we live for God's glory. Interestingly, for, for, for God to, to create a platform for man to, to have true unity and true peace, he, he created confusion in Babel. So this morning in the confusion and miscommunication of life, which we all experience so regularly, let's look at Christ who came to intercede on behalf of the Lord for our unity and peace. Our text today is from Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 30. Why don't you join with me in reading that? At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. 
All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We come before you and we ask, Lord, that in our confusion and in our lack and in our unbelief, that you would reveal yourself to us so that we may know the truth and that we may become your disciples and we may walk in the liberty and the peace that only you can provide. So, Lord, this morning we, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our understanding to receive from you and to understand you afresh today. In the mighty name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So our passage this morning begins with these words that Jesus answered. Strange words. As we unpack this, let's, we start there. Strange words considering that this, there was nobody else speaking before Jesus. In fact, Jesus, just prior to, this, to these statements, he was, he was continuing a discussion that he was having and he was, he was uh, rebuking some towns and some cities in the area that he was uh, for not repenting before the great works that uh, he performed on the Lord's behalf there. I want to suggest to you this morning that, that when, when it says Jesus answered, that he was answering the listeners' discouragement about what they just heard. Jesus, he, he, can, he knows what you're thinking. He knows what, he knows what's with, what is within you. And, and when he talked about that, that, that lack of repentance when and God did those ama- Jesus did those amazing works in those townships, there was discouragement in the group of people, and Jesus answered. And the way he answered it, it, it was interesting. But before we go there, you know, that let's 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 take some advice from Jesus there, because there's great encouragement here in looking toward God and being thankful when all we see around us is discouraging. Thanks to God is the appropriate response to our disrupted thoughts. Let me say that again. Thanks to God is the appropriate response to our disrupted thoughts. We see Isaiah saying, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Let me just give you a side thought as we unpack this scripture. A lot of times we we tend to... um, we have thoughts and then we go looking to solve or resolve those thoughts with Scripture. What I want to suggest to you, a great way of reading God's Word is reading His Word, contemplating a passage and allowing the Scripture to define what you're thinking about, not your thoughts defining how you are going to read the Bible. Just a thought. Okay, so what can we learn from Christ thanks to God? Well, let's start, let's start with how He addresses God. He says, Father... Lord of heaven and earth. I love the word Father because it defines, it defines the relationship that Jesus has with him. And, and for us, when he teaches us to pray, he, he gives us permission to use that same word, Father. 
It defines our relationship with the Lord. Father, when we speak to a father, it means it, it, it oozes with access. When we say father, it means access. And then it goes on, but we must also remember when he goes on and says, Lord of heaven and of earth. This defines something different as well. It, also, it defines the authority and the power of God, but it also highlights our approach to. We're talking to our Father. We have access to Him, but never forget our Father is also the Lord of heaven and of earth. So there's a reverence required, and there's also a confidence in Him. We don't go to Him with a lack of confidence or a lack of reverence. We go to Him acknowledging His magnificence, and also with a confidence that he is the giver and the sustainer of life. Verse 25 continues and it says this, As Jesus gives thanks that God, here's the words, has hidden these things. What are these things? The gospel of peace, eternal life, the kingdom of God. He has hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. You just got to look at the disciples of Christ here, don't you? And, and to understand that, that uh, Jesus, uh, when, he, when he approached followers and, and wanted to make an example of people, and for the, for the Gospels are full of stories with the disciples who were, who were fishermen and tax collectors and the like, and, they, and, and they, they were not learned men. They were not scholars. They weren't artists. They were of low status, low education. They weren't politicians. Jesus chose these, these people. It's a difficult thing to grasp sometimes, isn't it? Why, uh, why God didn't go to the hierarchy? You know, we all, I think one of the natural things, if we, wanna, if we wanted to win a tribe, we go and try to win the chief first. And if we win the chief, then everyone will follow. And I think God's not saying that the wise are not able to see God. But I think what he's highlighting here, which we also see in Babel, is that their wisdom is not how to gain access to God. Their prudence, you know, their, uh, prudence being like a well-considered life is not the way that we access God. They're, they can, they're great things and they're gifts from God and we can nurture them and, come and, be, and, and grow in them, yet they are not our access point to God. So for the modern intellectual, like many of yourselves, this is a difficult truth to swallow we saw in babel that god saw the strength of human wisdom was was at best going to make a name for themselves and to not glorify god on we go to verse 26 jesus says an amazing statement here he says even so father you know it's like he's acknowledging this is a difficult truth father for it seemed good in your sight let me just say this, no matter what we understand about what God's intent is, what his plan is, no matter what we, whether we agree or disagree with it, we must surrender to it, to that will of God. Here's the question for you this morning. Are you willing to accept God's will because he said it is good? Are you willing to accept what he says is good even if you don't? necessarily agree that it is good from your perspective let's make god let's allow god to make us instruments for his good pleasure and for his good works 
It's a difficult challenge for us to, to walk that journey when, we, when, when our, ideas, our ideas and our ideals are so strong. I think of, I think of uh, my position here and I, I can think of no good reason why God chose us at this time to do this thing instead of somebody else. But it pleased God to do so. So I draw a full stop in the page and walk according to what he has established. Verse 27, all things have been delivered to me of my father and no one knows the son except the father. What a great picture of Jesus' divinity and of his humanity. You know, we see that, that Christ, we know who Christ as God is equal in power and glory with the Father. But Christ as our mediator, as the incarnate Son, receives his power and glory from the Father. Why? So that he can create a covenant of peace between God and man. Amazing. It goes on, Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. There's a humility in salvation, isn't there? There's a humility because our efforts are of no value. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot, we cannot earn relationship with God. We cannot even see God. We cannot, we, our efforts cannot make us receive God. Our, our prudence and our wisdom cannot help us see God. Yet in our confusion, yet in our childlike approach... Christ reveals the Father to us. What an amazing privilege that we have. The Bible says it's very hard for a rich man, you know, even harder for a, for a rich man to enter the king that it, kingdom of heaven that it is for a camel to, to go through the eye of a needle. We hear these statements and, and, and they, they challenge us because of our striving on earth. We strive for wisdom and for prudence and for wealth and for health and for all these different things. And the, and the Bible challenges us that these are not tools to access the kingdom of God. He's saying they're not necessarily bad tools. They're, and they're, in fact, they're all gifts of God. Yet they are not our pathway to salvation. Then verse 28 says this, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's many, many layers to this, to this uh, statement that Jesus makes. But let's, let's look at it from a Jewish perspective just for a moment. You see, for the Jews, there was a huge burden attached to the law. And there was a, there was a, there was a striving for God's acceptance from those people. The burden of, of the ceremonial law, some say, was an intolerable yoke. Not to mention the, the, the other laws that the elders and, and traditions that the elders, elders attached also to the law. And then there's us today. Who are those who, are, who labor and are heavy laden? Are these the, are these the, uh, the concreters and the and the, um, you know, the hard workers, the roofers, the people who do all the heavy labor. I, don't think, I don't, really don't think that's who, who Jesus is referring to. I, I think that humanity has a, has, is on a search. We call it for our identity, but I believe it's a search for, 
to be known and uh, to be accepted. And our search for acceptance and meaning outside of God, it is the most laborious and tiresome thing that we do. And it causes a weariness that cannot be solved, cannot be resolved. And this is the beautiful thing that Jesus says, and I will give you rest. There's no striving for acceptance in Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. But there is rest. The great watchman Nee talks, talks about these concepts in his book, Sit, Walk, Stand, and he, you know, I guess I could paraphrase it and say that, that uh, we must rest in the grace of God before we can walk in the ways of God, before we can stand for the truth of God. It begins with rest. And this rest begins here and now in God's grace and is then perfected in our eternal glory with Him. Verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is where faith is required, church. You see, because the rest promised, the rest that Jesus promised is a, is a true rest. It's a release from the burden of sin. But here's the thing. It's a release from the burden of sin, but not from the service to God. Take my yoke upon you. The Bible talks about Christ has a yoke for us. It also talks, says that, that he has a crown for us as well. So we have a yoke and we have a crown for our heads. But the key word here is the word my. He said, take my yoke upon you. He's saying you are already under a yoke. You are already serving something. You are already uh, doing, doing, doing labor. He says, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy. Why don't you take the yoke you are, you are currently wearing, which is causing you to be weary and take on my yoke, which is easy. The great poet Bob Dylan says, you've got to serve somebody. We've got to serve somebody, church. We, the, the battle that we have is that we look at the word like yoke and we see it as a negative thing that we don't want to yoke. But, but what we see in that, old, that great old song of Dylan's was that everybody is serving somebody. And, and Jesus is saying to us, take my yoke. It's not, it's not like take a, a yoke, it's saying take my yoke. And he goes on from there, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's here that we find out how to come to Jesus as a teacher. Why do we come to Jesus as our teacher? Because he is the true and worthy teacher. He's the perfect teacher. He knows our hearts. He knows our learning styles. He can speak, he can speak one word that reaches a hundred people in a hundred different ways. Why? Because he is meek and lowly of heart. He is fit to teach you, church. I don't know if you've experienced many teachers in your life, but many teachers are, are impatient in their teaching. I want you to grasp their concepts, these, the easy concepts quickly so they can move on to more difficult ones. But it's discouraging, isn't it, when we don't grasp things very quickly. A lot of times we've got a lot of 
a lot of baggage from our past that we're, that we're trying to shed as we grasp these new concepts um, of, the, of the kingdom of God. And, and it takes some time. And the beautiful thing about our Lord Jesus is that he knows how to open up our understanding at a speed that, that our maturity can handle. And who's a better example of this than the disciples? Not always the quickest to learn the lessons strong strong headed you know very earthly practical and not necessarily very uh, spiritually mature quite regularly i think jesus he he even said to one of them he said get behind me satan at some point you know he 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 and he had to repeat himself do you love me do you love me do you love me he 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 knew exactly how to reach those men individually for their own betterment in the kingdom of god and it finishes with this, this that, pass, that, that sentence finishes with, you shall find rest to your souls. The most desirable rest of all. You ever go on holidays and you've rest your body, you rest your mind and you come back and within a week you're tired again. There's a reason for this because we haven't found rest for our souls. And as usual, God's way is at odds with humanity. Here's how we find rest for our souls. We sit at Jesus' feet. We hear his words. And then we serve. We take on his yoke. We take on his burden. Because there's a, there's a, in, in life, there's a sense of achievement in our work. And a yoke represents work, doesn't it? He says, you know, and, and, and as we take on his yoke, we realize that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Getting saved and, get, and becoming free. We love liberty, don't we, church? But, we love, but in reality, that we were designed for work. And work and freedom are not two things. On, they're, not, they're not poles on, on, a, on, a, on a continuum. They, are, they, they work together. We were designed for work. Adam was, was given the task of tending the Garden of Eden, of, of naming all the animals. He had responsibilities. He had work to be done. Let me just say this to you, church. A yoke and a burden are not negative things. They are tools for getting it done. They're tools for getting things done. They're tools for getting traction and for carrying things and for, for breaking the ground and all these things. The key, though, the key is choosing tools that get it done and give you rest for your souls at the same time. What an amazing passage, church, to remind us that our efforts for acceptance are futile, but our efforts out of acceptance are liberating. Let me say that again. Our efforts to gain acceptance are futile, but our efforts out of our acceptance are liberating. Consider that, church. And as you contemplate your agreement or disagreement with the Scriptures and with the Lord, remember what God said. He said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Father, this morning we... We ask that you would speak to us through your word.
that you would pierce our hearts with illumination, with revelation, with hope and liberty, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your yoke. We thank you for your burden. Father, we thank you that, that you haven't made our relationship with you effort-based, Lord. We thank you that you have accepted us. We thank you, Father, that we walk in liberty with you, Lord. For each person listening this morning, I ask, Lord, that you would teach them your ways. Lord, that you would reveal the Father to them. That you would show them your glory. Lord, where we have gone out of our way to make a name for ourselves, Lord, we come before you in repentance. And we seek to give you the glory and the praise which you are due. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching, that you've been encouraged and challenged. To stay up to date with our latest messages, you can subscribe to our podcast. For more information, resource, or service times, please check out our website at noosa.church.